Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311 cast featuring your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter, the podcast that brings you all things sports to your beautiful ears. On this week's episode of the 8311 cast, episode 35, we're going to be talking about basketball, hockey, Formula One, your weekly turtle tab, which leads directly into the MLB, along with our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions. So, talking about basketball, this is obviously us talking about the NBA, yeah? Yeah, there ain't, much, there ain't much college basketball going on right now. And there isn't I mean, much and I mean, NBA either. None of our listeners care about high school basketball, so... That's that's over, too. It's the summer. High school sports are over, unless you're weird and you're hey, from Iowa uh, and they play high school baseball and softball in the summer. That's weird. I mean, they play AAU in the summer. I mean, yeah, but that's not high school. That's AAU. And they're high school kids. But you, but it's AAU. It's not organized by the high schools. That's fair. We could talk so, about AAU, and, though. And no, no one's interested in AAU basketball. The results are meaningless. Performances might be more meaningful, but the results themselves are meaningless. But we should talk about, like, the NBA, actually. That would probably be a good idea, don't you think? People actually probably. want to know about that. Probably, what happened since that was a very significant thing that happened this week. Yeah, what happened in the NBA this week, Kyle? So, the team from the North did it. Toronto. Minnesota? Minnesota's from the North. Minnesota is garbage. Toronto did it. They beat Golden State. They usurped the uh, reigning NBA champions. And they did it in six games. Um, This game was actually pretty close the entire way. It was a really good game. Six I, for a while, thought this was going to go to a Game 7, um, and it might have if Clay Thompson was able to play the entire game. Now, this is a very gutsy thing that Clay Thompson did. If you haven't heard the story about it, haven't heard the, uh, or ha- didn't watch it live. So, Clay Thompson tears his ACL on a drive to the basket uh, when he lands. It looked very gruesome. He had to be helped off the court, but then came back on the court to to shoot his two free throws, but then did not return to the game. The last person to do this is one of the greatest players of, in NBA history. Kobe Bryant also did this. Um, in a report that I read, Clay Thompson told um, Steve Kerr that he wanted to play the rest of the game, uh, but... Obviously, management and ownership and Steve Kerr was not, they weren't going to allow that to happen uh, with how significant this injury actually is. Um, but yeah, this this finals game wreaked havoc on two players who are set to hit free agency this summer, as uh, both Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson, who are set to earn quite a quite a large sum of money next year. Uh, both get injured during this series. But let's talk about the team who actually won. The team who actually won. So now Marcus Gasol has a uh, NBA championship, and that is the first pair of brothers to ever win NBA championships. Obviously, his uh, brother, Pau Gasol, has won many championships with the uh, Los Angeles Lakers. I, mean, so, I wouldn't say many. Uh, he won a couple at least one. At least one. He won at least one with the L.A. Lakers. We'll just put it that way. Um, but 
yeah, the, the first brothers to ever do that. But Kawhi Leonard now has stopped two teams from their dynasty from being a dynasty uh, in terms of winning NBA championships. He stopped LeBron James and the Miami Heat back when they were going for a three-peat in the NBA Finals uh, when he was only 22 years old. He won Finals MVP there, and then he did it again in Toronto. So Kawhi Leonard, a guy that plays phenomenal defense, just a just a great player, great ambassador to the game, doesn't have much... Um, much drama that follows him other than the fact that people make fun of him for never answering questions to how they expect people to answer questions. But Kawhi Leonard is, is going to be in, or I, I don't know. I can't say that with all certainty that he'll be in the hall of fame at some point. Um, but he is by far one of the great, greatest players in the NBA right now because he is an all around player. Not the purest of scores like some other uh, players are, like Clay Thompson. But you have to admire what he's been able to done to what he's been able to do with both San Antonio and now Toronto. Does he stay in Toronto? Who knows? But winning a championship, he might he might want to stay there. Um, but Toronto just had a great supporting cast this entire uh, playoff run with Siakam. Pascal Siakam, uh, Fred Van Fleet, uh, Danny Green, just all key contributors. And Kyle Lowry really wanted to win an NBA championship because he had a great game six and he outplayed he Kyle Lowry. He outplayed uh, uh, Kawhi Leonard. He scored the first eight points of the game and the first 11 yep. were after his points. Yep. That he, was, he, he, was, he came out on fire in game six. He really wanted to win an NBA championship. So he played... He played like it and well-deserved for that team. Kudos to them for just a great finals uh, run and a great playoffs um, and a great season being the second best team in the East Eastern conference and coming out and winning it all. So to all those people out there who think that the Western conference is the bet by far the best conference an Eastern conference team just won the finals uh, championship for the NBA. So, how does that make you feel about if you're DeMar DeRozan that the the this team finally wins gets over the hump and wins the championship after they trade you away? I think that would just be like a gut punch. If let me be traded, it was already a gut punch if you're DeRozan. Well, because then having that was win DeRozan's the finals, team. Mm-hmm. He was, that was the DeRozan's of that team. He was he was drafted by the Raptors. He had played there his entire career. That was his team. Obviously, it's a gut punch, but then you then you obviously have to take a step back and see obviously something wasn't working with DeMar DeRozan being the star of the show there. He's a phenomenal player, but he wasn't enough to take that team over the hump and get them to the to the finals even and even get close to winning an NBA championship. They could never beat LeBron James. Nope. So, that, I, I don't know. He, if he wants to prove himself as a great player in the NBA, he's got to win with San Antonio now. Yep. Yeah. But the other thing that this series really changed, and I know you touched on it earlier, was free agency. I mean, Kevin Durant and uh, Clay Thompson's injuries really are what changed free agency. Both of those players will probably miss 
all of next season now. Durant almost certainly will, and Thompson probably will, but there's a chance he could come back for a stretch run for a team. But they were were both going to be free agents at the end of the year. I mean, now Durant has an option that he might pick up, as we uh, discussed last week. But that really changed free agency. Two of the big-name free agents are now off the board, right? That's probably two of the top six free agents for next year are probably off the board. And I think that changes the way every team goes after free agency, right? Maybe some of those teams that were really going to go after it this year have to wait another year before they really go for it because there just aren't the num. There's less te- There's the same number of teams competing for two less star players that they give max deals to. I think yeah. that really changes free agency. I mean, now what your big free agents are Kyrie Irving, Kyle, uh, not Kyle Lowry, uh, Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler are probably your three biggest name free agents now, right? Is there another big name free agent that I'm missing? Not really. I mean, Chris Paul has been mentioned a lot in trade talks because he's going to be a free agent next season. But yeah, that's and really I mean, the other biggest player that is on the board, really. The other, the other two we were talking about, of course, were Thompson and Durant. But now that they're both going to mix, miss the year, I mean, they'll sign somewhere, but they're definitely, uh, definitely more off the list as far as big free agents for this year are concerned. And so. Perhaps what the uh, Lakers did this week makes more sense in light of those uh, free agency changes. The Lakers uh, went out and traded for Anthony Davis, traded with the Pelicans. So the Lakers picked up uh, Anthony Davis. They traded uh, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, some guy I've never heard of, and three first-round picks to the uh, to the Pelicans for Anthony Davis. So I think that is quite a haul for the uh, Pelicans. I mean, they've still got uh, they've still got Drew Holiday. Uh, they're going to draft Zion Williamson here. They now have Ingram and Lonzo. That could be a really that could be a solid starting five. I still think that the uh, that the uh, Pelicans could be in the mix for a playoff spot here, even after trading their best player and one of the best players in the NBA. I think, personally, I think that uh, the Pelicans won this trade. I mean, they'll have the first pick to get Zion, like we talked about. They also have the, what is it, the fourth pick now that they have that they got from yeah, the Lakers I think, in the didn't trade? Yeah, didn't they get this year's fourth fourth or first-round pick, which is yes. the number four overall pick? Yes, that's correct. They're still going to get a really good player who's going to be a key piece. Obviously, Brandon Ingram is a player who can go out and score. Lonzo Ball is going to be, if he's healthy— He's going to play, and I am I think he's going to have a chip on his shoulder for being traded from the team that he wanted to play for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, do, I agree with you here. New Orleans got the better end of this deal. They're going to have a young team that's going to be fun to watch. They also have uh, Nikola Mirotic, right, I believe, who's, who they acquired from the Bulls last year, and he's a great scoring piece as a as a uh, four so if they add zion williamson to this i i think they're gonna be a really good team in the eastern conference next year i don't know if they'll be a really good playoffs team or even that they'll i don't think they will be the best team in the east who knows they might surprise us but they're gonna be a really good team in the eastern conference next year uh they're they're in the western conference or the western conference never mind sorry but Sorry. yes, I agree. I agree that they will be. But I mean, 
well, I guess we'll see for the Lakers too. I mean, if they go out and they win a title here with that that core of LeBron and Anthony Davis, and you can't say they lost. Well, no, right? but they only have five players on their active roster once this deal goes through. Five. Yeah, they only they have a players. they have a starting five, and that's it. They only need to sign some players, but they need to sign some people in order to be competitive. But also, I mean, that player that you've never heard of, his name is Josh Hart. He played for Villanova. He was part of that national championship oh, yeah. team. Villanova. Yeah, he's, he's a really good player, and I think he'll be a really good bench piece for New Orleans. But he's not a he's not a star or a starter by any means. Yeah, he was a throw-in piece in that deal. Yeah. Do you know who definitely lost this deal though? Every team in the Eastern Conference. LeVar Ball. Oh, yeah. LeVar Ball definitely lost this deal. LeVar Ball is pissed, but... Yeah, I can imagine how much that hurts his reputation now. His son is playing in New Orleans. and Not that New Orleans is a small town by any means, but it's not Los Angeles. So he certainly wasn't happy to see his son move from uh, from Los Angeles well, to New Orleans. So I, I actually watched an interview that he was obviously being interviewed in, and... He was saying, I'm not worried about Lonzo. Lonzo's going to go wherever they send him, and he's going to play until he hits free agency, and then he's going to get a max deal somewhere. I was like, all right. So that's all he's focused on right now is Lonzo playing and earning himself a max deal when he hits free agency. So. I mean, he also said that it was the worst deal in Lakers history and they would yeah. never win again. Yeah. But then Shaq wanted to point out that it was probably the second worst trade in Lakers history. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't be the worst. So, I mean, we'll see how it turns out for them. If they go win a championship, then it's a good trade. We'll I see, don't know how it, you can win a championship with just two players, though, especially Anthony Davis, who's prone to injuries. How many? How many? How many stars did uh, Toronto have? One. One, maybe two. Maybe, okay. maybe two in All Star. Yeah. Oh, okay, and and how many is LA gonna have? Two. And one of them is the best player in the game. They can win a title. Will and they? One of I don't them, know. And one of them is possibly the best the best center in the game yeah. as well. Yeah. So the, unless they, you yes. unless you compare him to Nikola Jokic for the Denver Nuggets. Yeah. But can they win? I it? think they yes. can. I just think it there's a lot of factors that play into this. Anthony Davis is very injury prone and LeBron yes. James is getting old. That's true. That's true. But hopefully uh he uh since he had more limited playing time this last year, that he'll be fresh and ready to go for next year. Yeah. But we'll see. That's a long way away. What is also a long way away is the uh, start of the next NHL season, since uh, this NHL season came to an end in the past week. And it came to an end with the St. Louis Blues winning their first ever Stanley Cup. On uh, Wednesday night, they beat the Boston Bruins in Game 7, of the NBA, uh, the NBA Finals, of the Stanley Cup Finals. It was 4-1 to one St. Louis was the final score in that Game 7. Boston outshot them, especially in the first half. Boston outshot them. It was like 12-4, to 10-4, something like that. But the Blues capitalized in two late situations and were up 2 to nothing at the end of the first. And uh, they, just, they just kept Boston at arm's reach, winning that Game 5-1. This is one of the greatest Cinderella stories in hockey history, I'm sure. January 3rd, the Blues had the worst record in hockey. Somewhere around there, they fired Mike Yo as their head coach. They go on, they call up some rookie goalie from the minors who gets hot, 
and carries them to the NHL, carries them to the Stanley Cup. It is just 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 an insane Cinderella story for the Blues. It shows that since hockey is so low scoring, it it is more random than other sports, I think, because it is so low scoring. Right? Because like one bounce can be the difference in the game, right? One puck goes in or it doesn't go in, right? In a game where maybe five total goals goals are scored, makes a bigger difference than, you know, one basket bouncing in or out in basketball when, you know, both teams are scoring 110 points. So I feel like there's just a little bit more randomness involved. I mean, not that I'm trying to take away anything from the Blues. It was a phenomenal run. But I think that just the power of a hot goaltender and why a story you see a story like this in hockey where you never see the eighth seed in the Western Conference coming up and winning the NBA Finals just because there's there's less randomness involved in the NBA. But it was an incredible run by the Blues. It was really fun to watch. The city of St. Louis really got behind them. And they deserved a championship after what the Rams did to them. They yep. certainly deserved a championship. There's only, there's only two teams there now. And the Cardinals are good, but they're not great. So... This this it was a it was a really good thing for the city. Everybody loved it. I knew a bunch of people who are in St. Louis. They took off of work after Game Six, like four Game Six, expecting them to win, and then they took out off of work. Like the entire city shut down after Game Seven, mm-hmm. so that they could celebrate. It was so, a great win for them. That was going to happen after the Twins win the World Series this year. I don't know. It's pretty probably hard. Probably not in St. Louis though. It happened in Minneapolis. Yeah, they, they they can't win it in St. Louis. I mean, they could. They, they could, could if they were playing if they were playing the Cardinals. Uh-huh. But but that's a long way away still. It is. Don't but jinx it. That's where the focus is in the Twin Cities about about the Twins. We've we've put away the division already. We're thinking playoffs already, and it's Father's Day. So yeah, no other team has been this far ahead at. Father's Day, essentially. I mean, I'm sure it's happened, but it's it's team, happened, but not Cleveland, recently. Cleveland's done. Anyway, we'll talk about baseball later. I got distracted. Do you have anything else you want to talk about? It being from from uh, from the Missouri area and the Blues winning the Stanley Cup. Not really. I mean, I already put in my two cents. I don't follow a lot of hockey, but it's just a really great story for St. Louis to mm-hmm. come back and win this. Obviously, being the worst team in the NHL on January 3rd, you don't see that. Like Mike said, you don't see that happening in the NBA or in uh, Major League Baseball all that often. Um, It just, or in football, really, it just doesn't happen. Um, So it was was a really cool story, really great story. Um, That goalie has gotten so much praise, as he should, because he's been, he's just played phenomenal, played outside of his mind. Without him, they aren't in the position that they are right now, hoisting that Stanley Cup. For sure. Also, fun fact for NHL fans, the draft is uh, this upcoming Friday and Saturday, the 21st and 22nd of June. So uh, keep an eye on that to see uh, who gets drafted in these first couple picks and see uh, how your team does. They uh, waste no time in going from the end of the season to the draft here. So draft coming up. Keep an eye on that. The NBA draft is coming up somewhat soon, too, I think, maybe. I don't know. I haven't thought about that because I've been too caught up in the finals for the NBA. So... But yeah, NHL draft coming up. Hey, Wyatt, do you want to talk to us about some Vroom Vroom stuff here? Vroom Vroom stuff is next up on the list of things that we are going to talk about, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. So yes, I will gladly talk about Vroom Vroom stuff, specifically Formula One. 
And what we're going to be talking about is the Canadian Grand Prix, which happened not last Sunday, but the Sunday before that. And the reason why we're taking so long to talk about it is due to some dramatic events that have been still unfolding and will continue to unfold over the next few weeks, which we will get into soon before those dramatic events occurred. The the race in Canada that started uh, was the 15th time Formula One is raced in Canada, which is kind of interesting. And it had the starting grid uh, as Ferrari, Merck, Ferrari, Renault, and Red Bull Racing. So not only did only one Merck make it into the top five, we also had a Renault make it in P4, which is awesome. And those drivers, five drivers, were Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, Charles Leclerc, um, Daniel Ricciardo, and Max Verstappen. So Daniel Ricciardo with Renault is racing really well in Q1, Q2, and Q3. Max Verstappen was down in P5 because Kevin Magnussen hit the wall of champions in the end of Q2, which totally ruined his time and shoved him further back on the grid. But it didn't really matter because he wouldn't have made it any better than his finishing place, which was, um, oh boy, what did he finish? doesn't matter. We'll get to that in a second. Um, at the end of the race, let's get right to the end of the race, because not a whole lot happened during the actual race, except for one major event, which we'll get to in a second, and you'll see why I'm waiting to talk about this until after we talk about the end of the race. It'll make sense, I promise. At the end of the race, the finishers, one through five, were Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel in second, Charles Leclerc in third, Valtteri Bottas in fourth, Max Verstappen in fifth. So he finished fifth, sorry. Which is Mercedes, Ferrari, Ferrari, Mercedes. However, that's not the order that the cars crossed the line in. Cars crossed the line in Sebastian Vettel, then Lewis Hamilton, and then the aforementioned Charles Leclerc, Valtteri Bottas, and Max Verstappen. And the reason why Lewis Hamilton has the win over Sebastian Vettel is due to a very... Uh, hotly contested penalty that the FIA stewards gave to Sebastian Vettel, which was a five-second time penalty, which was applied after the race. Sebastian Vettel crossed the line two seconds before Lewis Hamilton did with that five-second penalty. He was, therefore, three seconds slower, officially, than Lewis Hamilton. And uh, Mike and Kyle, if you look at the link that I posted in our outline, you can see the video of the incident that was penalized. Sebastian Vettel is the red car in the front, if you watch... He goes off the track in turn, I think, three, and then rejoins the track on turn four, uncontrolled. And the five-second penalty was given due to one of the, the racing rules, which says that a, a car can't rejoin the track in an unsafe manner. Which, if you look at this, yeah, he rejoins the track in an unsafe manner. But there's no other option for him in, in this specific instance. To give you kind of a, a more clear picture of why this happened, the, the car is going straight down a straightaway. There's a right turn and an immediate left turn. It's like an S-curve, but with two turns. And he missed out on the first turn and ran um, short into the infield on that left turn. And then the only other option is to hit the track next. He had nothing else. It was, it was a grass dirt patch that he hit. And with the, the slick tires that the Formula 1 cars race on, as soon as you get dirt on them, you have no traction whatsoever. So he rejoins in track. Skids around, almost hits the wall. He does cut off Lewis Hamilton in the process, but again, this was unintentional. But he was still given a penalty for that. Which, by the letter of the law, I guess, yeah, the stewards did make the correct decision. I'm very hesitant on saying that because I don't believe it was the actual correct decision. And 
the spirit of motorsport racing that was the wrong interpretation of the rule however the fia stewards don't get to interpret the rules at all they have to apply them by the letter of the law which i personally think is a shortcoming of the motorsport um industry for fia and they need to address that he was given a five second time penalty which completely robbed ferrari of their first win of the season mercedes has run won every single race this season thus far uh, including the canadian grand prix due to this crap penalty in my opinion yeah but i mean i i so i, I watched it. you should post the link in the description too so if you uh, our listeners can watch it but uh I, I watched it i agree with you that he didn't have any choice but i also agree with you that they have to enforce by the letter of the law right they if as soon as you leave these things up for interpretation is when things can go wrong Right. That's why you can't just not listen to the rules because the rules don't make sense this time. The rules are there for a reason. All of our listeners know that I have a fascination with rules. So um, I like when the rules are followed, even when sometimes they don't make sense. That's a good time to maybe revise the rules, but you still got to follow them when when they happen. That's my take. Yeah, I totally agree. And I'm not blaming the stewards for making this decision. It's not it wasn't their call. I mean, yeah, there's I four. So stewards in, in motorsport racing are similar to umpires in baseball, referees in basketball. There's four of them that sit up in a special booth that has every single camera angle available to man. And there, there's one race director. And essentially the race director has to say, hey, race stewards, take a look at this incident. So an incident could be in this case where Sebastian Vettel ran off the ran off the track and rejoined. It could be an incident where two cars collide or a crash happens. Race director says, hey, stewards, take a look at this. There's four guys sitting up in a room. Two of them are appointed by the FIA from a, a, a selected pool of, of stewards, kind of like how umpires are chosen, I suppose. There's a selected pool of umpires that could be chosen from, from the MLB. Mm-hmm. The FIA chooses two of those. One steward then, for the third the third steward, is appointed by the local race um, race govern, governing body. So the FIA appoints two. Canada, in this case, would have appointed one. Mm-hmm. And then... One last, um, one last steward. What is an actual racing driver, uh, of a driver who is retired or isn't racing Formula One this season or something? Okay. And almost every racing driver that has been talked to about this, uh, besides one guy, um, Blonde, he was a champion in 2009, 2010. Don't remember his name off the top of my head. He said basically the same thing. He was the only one who didn't say the same thing everyone else is saying, which is that Seb had no other choice and the penalty should not have been enforced which we're kind of in gray waters right now. It's, it's really hard to, to fix this, I guess, because you, you have to argue that the rules are broken at this point. Ferrari did notify the FIA that they were going to appeal against this decision, and they had 96 hours to do so uh, from the start of that appeal process, and they decided to not go forth with it. But they are bringing this um, back to the International Sporting Code, which does give them the right to review the penalty but only if there's significant and relevant new information that wasn't available during the actual decision point when they made, when the stewards made the decision to penalize Sebastian Vettel. So there's still a possibility, albeit very slim, very, very slim chance that this gets overturned. But um, I don't know. Yeah, I, that's racing right there. That, that video clip that I posted there, that's, that's part of racing. That's just the way it works. I don't think the spirit of the rule is supposed to cover something like this. I think it was way too broad and way too vague and needs to be revised. But I don't know if there's anything they can do about it from now on. Like th- that that decision that they made has to stand. I, I don't see that being reversed, but 
I still think it should be. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a fair interpretation of it from what I saw. So. Sebastian Vettel felt the same way at the end of the race instead of... Uh, so, so to give you some background information, the first three cars, the podium finish cars, pull up into the special little uh, fenced-off area to give quick post-race interviews with Martin Brundle from Sky Sports. Mm-hmm. And then they go up to the actual podium celebration stuff. Uh, Sebastian didn't. He started to go down pit lane to go pull in that special area, stopped his car, pushed it backwards out of pit lane, and then kind of ran away <laughs> back to the, the Ferrari kind of team headquarters, I suppose. Was eventually forced out, uh, forced out to that that special little fenced-in area. But what he did was, the other two cars were there, Charles Leclerc and Lewis Hamilton's car were there, and they pull up in front of these special signs. So Lewis Hamilton pet, uh, pulled up into the number one sign, Charles Leclerc to the number three sign. The number two sign, which was Sebastian Vettel, P2, was blank. He grabbed the P2 sign, placed it in front of Lewis Hamilton's sign, and then took the, the P1 sign and placed it in front of where his empty car should have been uh, if he would have pulled it in. So th- there was a bit of drama at the end, mm-hmm. and he did end up going to the podium ceremony but it was a very awkward, awkward kind of thing. Lewis Hamilton even said, hey, I don't want to win a race like this, meaning that he doesn't want to win a race because the other guy got penalized that was ahead of him. Uh-huh. Um, fans were booing at that point in time, but I don't think they were booing Lewis Hamilton. They were booing the Stewart's decision, which I can understand. But again, at the same time, I think that was the right call based on the letter of the law. So That's a lot of drama fair. to be had at the Canadian Grand Prix. That's fair. Usually it's drama like that saved for baseball. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, so that that's how that happened. The other five points finishers, so we had Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel, Charles Leclerc, Valtteri Bottas, and Max Verstappen, one through five, getting points for Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull Racing. Uh, we also had Daniel Ricciardo finish in number six for Renault, Nico Hulkenberg with Renault also in P7, Pierre Gasly for Red Bull, Lance Stroll in Racing Point. They're actually getting some more points now. And Daniel Kvyat in the Toro Rosso getting some more points in P10. That's what happened in the Canadian Grand Prix. Stay tuned for the French Grand Prix in Circuit Paul Ricard on ESPN, June 23rd at 8.10 a.m. Central Standard Time. That's what I got for F1. Very nice. Very nice. Very thorough update. Very thorough update. I'm going to give you an update on everyone's favorite baseball player now because that's what Who's I that? like. Who's that? I like Whit baseball. Merrifield? Uh, no, Willens Astadio is everyone's favorite. Did you did you player. see the video of Whit Merrifield in the outfield in Omaha yelling at the fans for not being for not heckling enough? No, I did not see that. It, it was good. It was good. You'll have to watch that video. I will. But yes, yeah, so we're gonna update you on Willens Astadio. And as you heard on in episode thirty four, he was optioned to AAA. But uh, as you heard on episode thirty four, he was hitting and well in triple a and that continued this last week he was 12 for 25 with two home runs in triple uh, a so that's a batting average of just about 500 over the course of a week so i have a feeling he won't be in triple a long he will probably be the first one up should someone on the twins get injured or something like that Astadio will be the first one up so just keep an eye on him he'll keep making fun plays and he'll keep playing fun baseball, and then we'll be back on the Major League roster. Twins probably would have swept this series against the Orioles, or against the Royals had he been there, because he enjoys killing the Royals. But, hey, you can't win them all. Willens Astadio, La Tortuga, he will be back. Mark my words, you haven't seen the last of chubby Willens Astadio in Major League Baseball. But I suppose now we can talk about baseball that's actually in the Major Leagues. Do you want to talk about your Royals playing in Omaha, Kyle? Yeah, well, they... 
it was a super fun game in Omaha um, as they played the Detroit Tigers. Obviously, ESPN there was uh, ESPN was there to televise that game, and it was a sold out crowd. Um, it was a very good event uh, in Omaha for the city, and I believe for Major League Baseball in general. Um, they did a lot to incorporate the eight teams there for the College World Series. Um, eight players from eight. Uh, representatives from each team got to throw out the first pitch. Uh, so eight people, there were eight first pitches. How can eight people throw out the first pitch? It doesn't work like that. There were eight first pitches. One of them had the first, the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. You can't have eight firsts. There were eight first pitches. Nope, it doesn't Uh, work like that. And in in an article that I read, I really, uh, I can't give credit to the person because I can't remember who they were. Uh, but they said that the MLB draft should be moved and to to Omaha in cor- like in coordination with the College World Series. Then it would bring more um, interest and more draw into the Major League Baseball draft, and then people would actually pay attention to it rather than the people who are just being drafted. Um, I think that could be a very fun event. For major league, for the major leagues, and for teams, the college coaches are going to shoot that down in a heartbeat, though. Well, they they proposed that it happened immediately after, immediately following the college world. Series. Oh, okay, okay. Then the college, but they don't want it right before or during the college world series. The no, last no, thing no, that no. college coaches want is their players worrying about the draft being at the same place where they're about to play the biggest baseball games of their yeah, lives. Yeah. And. I think it should. I I think I like it being right after the College World Series because then it gives some other players national spotlight that could help improve their draft stock potentially. Um, I, mean, I think it would be fun to have it in Omaha right after the College World Series. I agree with this writer who wrote about it um, because absolutely nobody pays attention to the draft unless you listen to our podcast and you knew that it was happening and then you actually cared. So there's that. But hey, the Royals won a their first series in first a long series? time. Oh, the first in a long time. Okay. In a long time, that um, they beat the Detroit Tigers in that series when they They're played bad. two in Kansas City and one in Omaha, and then they only won one game against the major league or the best team in the American League, the Minnesota best Twins. Best team in baseball. Minnesota best team in Twins. baseball. And. The Royals hit some home runs, too, in this series, uh, but they weren't able to hang on to their lead in Game 2. It was a pitching duel throughout most of Game 1, but the Royals only had two hits that entire game. Uh, It was phenomenal pitching by Kyle Gibson, um, but Brad uh, Keller also pitched very well in that game. Um, And then in Game 2, the Royals' bullpen fell apart again, what's new, um, but then in game three, uh, Jacob Junis pitched fairly well, um, well enough. And then they gave up a bunch of runs in, uh, at the end of the game, but luckily and fortunately they had a large enough lead in order to hold on and win, end up winning the last game of the series. That's what I got. Nice. Oh, yeah, so, Martin oh, Maldonado oh. wore a tie today. He did. I had never seen on, a baseball player his, wear a tie before. Uh, on his catching gear, on his chest protector. Mm-hmm. It was very it was very interesting. Very cool. What, 
one more note for the series before we get to the twins. Uh, we had everyone's favorite umpire for oh, uh, Saturday's God. game, Angel Hernandez. Uh, oh God, home I plate. He was he was awful. He's the worst behind home plate. He, that is literally, literally. It's 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 the ninth inning, one out or top of the ninth, one out, tying run on second for the Royals. I don't know who was batting, but Angel Hernandez wings him up on a pitch that's. It's three five, three to five inches outside, and they uh, show the review on the Twins broadcast. And this is on the Twins broadcast. The Twins benefited from this, and their announcers are going like, "This is awful! Like this can't happen." Even the Twins happens, broadcasters who are benefited, they're just it like, "It happened this in can't Game happen. One too." Whoever else was behind home plate in Game <laughs> One, there was a pitch that was at least four inches below the strike zone. It had happened in Jorge Soler's first at bat, and he let it go. But in the second one, the first pitch was called strike four inches below below uh, the strike zone. And he had some words with the home plate umpire, and he tossed him. Yeah, and then Terrence Gore had a bad cleanup for the rest of the game. That was pretty funny. Terrence yeah. Gore is not a cleanup hitter. No, he's, he's hitting okay based on his numbers and limited times he's actually been able to play but he's not a cleanup hitter but uh he got two of the three strikes in that at bat which means he gets credit for the strikeout instead of Solaire. if it would have been the second strike that Solaire <laughs> would have gotten ejected on and then Terrence Gore gets the third Solaire would have gotten credit for the strikeout instead of Gore fun fact whoever gets the majority of the strikes on them gets credit for the strikeout in that case do you know that Terrence Gore has more stolen bases than he does at bats yep it's a pretty fun fact. Mm-hmm. The Royals uh, have 69 stolen bases so far on the year. Okay. That's leading okay. the major the tw- leagues. The Twins don't have 69 stolen bases, and they're not leading the league in stolen bases. But do you know what they are leading the league in? Bombas. Pretty much everything else. Bombas. The Twins are leading the league in Bombas. They had a ton more this last week, and it's it's just – I don't even know what to say about this team. They still have the best record in baseball. They still have the best run differential in baseball. They have the best slugging percentage in baseball history. So at this point in the year, this this team is the best power hitting team in the history of baseball. Not just, you know, in the last 10 years ever. In the history of baseball, this team, this Twins team is the best power hitting team. Now, part of that has something to do with the baseballs. The baseballs are off. Uh, are a little bit more juiced than they were in previous years, but what this offense is doing is nothing short of incredible. Um, the pitching staff has not been uh, has not been as good. Um, Martin Perez did not have uh, the greatest start again here on Sunday. He's been struggling a little bit more, but Gibson and Barrios have uh, picked up the slack a lot for what uh, Perez has dropped. Um, they had some heroics, uh, including a big uh, five-run comeback against the Seattle Mariners on Wednesday before they ended up losing that game in 10 innings. The defense has been really suspect here in the last week, which is slightly concerning for me because the Twins have been playing really good defense up th- up to this point in the year. The Twins had five errors in Wednesday's game against Seattle, including three in the top of the 10th and two on the same play by Miguel Sano. That wasn't fun. And uh, they also had uh, another costly error today that resulted in four, or a Sunday that resulted in four earned runs against the uh, Royals in the, in the eighth inning. Costly errors. I mean, those will happen throughout the year. Those, those kind of mistakes happen. 
But eventually, I assume they'll go back to playing stellar defense, especially. So um, we'll have to see. But, I mean, they still won four out of six games. They took two out of three from the Royals. They took two out of three from the Mariners. I mean, if you win two out of every three games, you're going you're gonna to win 108 games on the season. So no one's going to complain about taking about winning two out of every three games. At least I certainly won't be the one to uh, complain about winning two out of every three games. So as long as they keep doing that, I won't keep complaining. It's, it's, uh, it's a fun time. It's a fun time to be a Twins fan. These uh, Twins fans are already thinking playoffs. We, we consider the division lock. The Twins' magic number is 83, which is a very important number to this podcast because, you know, with the 83-11 cast. So a magic number. The fact that you're able to think about a magic number at this point in the season is insane. So Twins magic number, 83. It's it's good. It's good. Um, they also had one big uh one big trade in the uh in Major League Baseball this year. It was done by the New York Yankees, who acquired Edwin Encarnacion from the Seattle Mariners. Just add another power hitter. I assume he'll be their primary DH because Luke Voigt is their first baseman. But they just add another power hitter to this already incredible offensive lineup, especially um, since Aaron Judge and you know, Juan Carlos Stanton are projected to come back here um, in this next week. It'll be it'll be the best power hitting team. It might uh, they might be able to pass the Twins for the best power hitting team in. Uh, in baseball, but especially with such a friendly ballpark. Yeah. Yankee stadium is a very friendly ballpark, especially with home runs. Um, it's possible that by the end of the year, the Yankees will, uh, for only the third time in baseball history, have the first and have the hitters with the first and second most home runs in a decade, um, on their, in their lineup. So currently Edwin Encarnacion has the most home runs this decade, with 322. Second is uh, Nelson Cruz, who's at 313. And then Juan Carlos Stanton is at 305. So it's possible that at some point this year, the Yankees will have the two hitters with the most home runs this decade, which has only been done twice in baseball history. In the 50s and the 1910s, it happened. So The 1910s? Yes, the 1910s. Well, and don't forget, they also have a catcher who can hit a lot of home runs as well. Gary Sanchez already has 20-plus home runs this season for me, the Yankees. Give me Mitch Garver any day. Mitch Garver actually can play defense. Gary Sanchez is a defensive liability, and that's generous for what his yeah. defensive play is behind the plate. So he, give can, me Mitch he can Garver hit some home runs to help, though. Yeah, so can Mitch Garver. Mitch Garver was out for three weeks and already has 11 home runs. Give me Mitch Garver any day of the week. Give me Salvi Perez any day of the week, though. Okay, that's fair, too, but he's hurt, so we're not going to take he's him. He's not going to play this season. So right now I won't take him, but that's fair. Do you want to uh, talk about – we were talking about the Seattle Mariners and how they traded uh, Edwin Encarnacion. Do you want to talk about something real strange that uh, well, happened to one. The, you're the yeah, one who Mariners. found this story. I'll let you have this. Me, all right, so our strange but true baseball injuries for the week um, – Happens to uh, what happened to Mitch Haniger of the uh, Seattle Mariners. He is out at least three weeks. Uh, there's really no timetable for this injury because I'm not sure it's ever really happened before. Um, 
Mitch Hanniger, uh ruptured a testicle fouling a ball off his groin in the uh, in the last week. That's that's not a good injury. Uh, there's no timetable for his return. Uh, he had surgery to fix it up. Um, we're just gonna yeah, just, just a strange injury. It's about all we got about the, that. Just it, not. There's, just don't do that. Sounds like he'll be wearing a, a protection cup for the foreseeable future. Yeah, that that's fair. Oh, I forgot to mention one thing about the Twins, too. We're going to stop strange injuries and go back to the Twins. They retired Joe Maurer's number seven uh, this weekend. It was a really nice ceremony. It was was very good. Joe Maurer, number seven, retired by the Twins. No twin will ever wear that number again. Go Joe Maurer. I think he's a Hall of Famer. Fight me if you think differently. I I never realized that he essentially could have played college in all three sports. Football, yeah. basketball, and baseball. He, he would, if he would have chosen to play football, he he had a scholarship to be the University of Florida's starting quarterback. Yeah. If he would have chosen to play football, he was an he was an All American high school quarterback, right? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. So yeah, he he could have he could have uh, he could have gone and played college football or basketball if he wouldn't have decided to play baseball. He was an athlete. I mean, when he has a Hall of Fame career in baseball, though, you can't say he made the wrong choice. No. So. I mean, you never know what could have happened in the other sports. He could have gotten injured and not been able to play. Right, or he could have been a Hall of Famer in those two. But yeah. when you're Hall of Famer in the sport you choose, you can't say you made a made the bad choice. So, can I talk about uh, the uh, the uh, stupid rule we uh, brought up last week? When uh, yes, when please, because it might impact a trade this year as well. Yeah. Yep. So with the baseball trade deadline coming up. Let's talk about a rule that's specific to baseball. Um, oh, it's a, it's a with... stupid rule about baseball? Yes. With the baseball trade deadline coming up? Yep. Okay, yep. thanks, but it's for, specific thanks for clarifying. To Nothing like this exists in any other sport. So all sports have, you know, no trade clauses written into contracts, right, where, you, you know, you can't trade a player. Um, but baseball has this thing, it's called 10 and 5 rights, that also guarantees or basically – gives a team gives a player a no trade clause so if a player has 10 years of major league service time so has been in the majors for 10 seasons and has played the last five seasons for the same for one team he's gotten his 10 and 5 rights it's called which means he can veto any trade uh that he wants um he can he can be traded if he wants to be but it means it gives him a complete veto power over any other trade. You saw this uh, last year with I think it was Adam Jones with the Baltimore Orioles, who uh, he uh, exercised these ten and five rights. They uh, arranged to trade him at the deadline, and he just said no. He said I played my whole career in Baltimore. This is my last year. My family's here. All my charity work is here. I know we're bad, but I'm just going to play my last year here. I veto any trade. So. You see it happen. I mean, it came up last week uh, with Alex Gordon. He has his 10 and 5 rights, and he said he isn't going anywhere. He's going to stay in uh, in Kansas City. So we'll see what else, what other it, trades. It could it could impact the Nationals potentially trying to uh, ship off Max Scherzer this year. Uh, next year, he will be eligible for 10 and 5 rights since he will have served the past five years for the Nationals, and obviously he has played 10 years between the Detroit Tigers and the Washington Nationals, so mm-hmm. they might try and ship him off before they have to, before they're essentially guaranteed, probably in Scherzer's eyes, that the Nationals pay out the rest of his contract. 
Mm-hmm. Which is a big contract. It's a, it's a lot of money. Contract. So, yeah. Yep. So there you go. You're 10 and 5 rights. The more you know. Baseball has we- a lot of weird rules like that. 10 and 5 rights, Super 2. That's, that's the a rule fun rule. Rule 5 draft. Mm-hmm. Lots of fun rules about baseball trades and free agency. It's a real good time. So you should all read that. It's fun. I like baseball stuff. Maybe I'll talk more about that for Stupid Rules later. All right. Um, that's the end of Stupid Rules. What does that mean, Wyatt? You're in charge of this. What happens after Stupid Rules? Oh, gosh. Is that the end of the... Oh, no, no. We have one more thing, don't we? Write yeah. that down. Predictions. But before we get into those, we need to go through our accountability section. Session? Section? This is I mean, a section. Both are section. technically correct, yeah. I guess. It could fine. be a section or a section. Mike, I so. knew was accountable for this. Uh-huh. So, hold us accountable. Yeah. Two weeks ago, um, Wyatt predicted that Steph Curry would be ejected one game in the series. I don't think he even picked up a technical foul in this series. I don't think he did either. I mean, Draymond Green did, but he picks oh. up technicals all the time. Uh, Steph Curry did not, so he did not get ejected. So, for that, Wyatt gets a nah. You can get ejectives out of technical. I mean... I guess, but I mean, and you can more I mean, often for two, more often for two technicals than for other reasons. But agree. Kyle predicted that Toronto would win the series and Kawhi Leonard would be the MVP. That happened. So ding 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 ding. Kyle also predicted that the Blues would win the Stanley Cup final, which also happened. So Kyle uh, with two correct predictions this week. Ding 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 ding. Very hey. well done, Kyle. I'm I am starting off season two with with a bang. Mm-hmm. And our fourth one in our accountability session was um, two weeks ago. Josh predicted that the Brewers would be ahead of the Cubs for all of that two weeks. Um, they proceeded to uh, give up 15 runs to the Marlins the next day, um, and uh, <laughs> did not stay ahead of the Cubs. So Josh gets a nah. For that. Action. Didn't didn't work out well. Didn't last. He also well. frantically messaged us and asked if he could uh, change his prediction up a little bit. Nope. We, we, we vetoed no. that. We don't we don't have mercy on teams who give up eleven runs in one inning to the uh, Miami Marlins. So at home. Were at they home. Second, That's they ridiculous. That's true. It was hilarious. I stopped watching the Cubs game to go watch that because it was glorious. I loved it. Yeah, Sorry. Speaking of a lot of runs scored. Better. The Phillies and the Rockies set a record today with the most runs in a four-game series. Uh-huh. It was like 96 runs in 90, the It was either 93 or 96. It was some yeah. crazy number. Yep. It was, it was insane. But that's the end of our accountability session with, uh, with those four predictions. So, Kyle, would you like to start us off with your prediction for the week? My prediction is based off of my favorite baseball player. Whit Merrifield, uh, Jorge Polanco. Whit Merrifield <laughs> will lead the American League in hits at the end of the season. Hmm. Mike mm-hmm. has already gone on record saying that this will not happen. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a triple for that. Okay. What do you think, Wyatt? Yeah, I wasn't going to go any higher than a triple. All right, we'll go there. I'm happy to write that in. I'm going to one-up Kyle. All right. Prediction. And I'm going to say that Jorge Polanco will lead all of baseball in hits at the end of the season. Is he is he ahead of everybody right now? He is currently tied with Nolan Arenado, one hit ahead of Whit Merrifield. Ooh. 
All right. Well, if you had just said the American League, it had to be a double, but I'm going to give you a triple then for that. Okay. Sounds MVP. good to me. Because you added another layer MVP. to it. MVP. Oh. I think Corey Polanco is an MVP candidate. Uh, Wyatt, what do you got? I got that Mercedes AMG will not get a P1 finish in uh, the French Grand Prix next week. Uh, for okay. some background information, they have won the past seven races, seven or eight, seven races that have happened this season. So all seven races, they've had either a first place finish or in this past race, just a first place finish. Uh, the other six races were a one-two. So it was Mercedes finishing first place and second place at the end of the race. Um, and you're predicting that they will not have Predicting more? that somebody else will get first place, not Mercedes. Not Mercedes. We we have to give you a triple or a home triple? run for that, right? I mean, so for some more background information, the reason why they didn't get a one-two in um, in Canada was due to technical issues. They just got a new power unit. They no were still triple. working through some struggles, um, which they probably got worked out now. In my mind, I don't know why they wouldn't have had fixed the issues that they were running into. They've had three weeks to work on it. I, I see them getting a one-two, but. I don't want them to, so I'm predicting that they will not get a one-two so finish. Triple. The only way I can give you a home run is if you said that they're going to have Wait, a, a are, DNF, a did are you, not finish. Are you? Are I mean, you that's predict- possible. Are you predicting that they will not get a one, or that they will not get a one-two? They will not get a one. Okay. Okay. If you were saying they won't get a one-two, nope. that would be different. Not saying that'd that. be a home run. Yep. I'm not saying they'll. they'll I'm saying they will get a not triple. get a one. Triple. Right, triple. How would a one? How would not getting a one two be a home run? Right. I, it would be less, Kyle. Yeah. Oh, it'd be yeah. It's harder to get a around, one buddy. two Sorry, than never mind. get a one. That'd be yeah. a double then. Yep. All right. All right. Do you have anything from Josh? We do. I did hear from Josh today, Woo. and he is uh, doubling down on his sort of doubling <laughs> down on his long prediction from two weeks ago. So he's changing it. So last week, well, two weeks ago, he said that the Brewers would be ahead of the Cubs for all of the next two weeks. This time he's just saying that the Brewers will be ahead of the Cubs on next Monday. So not saying that they'll stay ahead of the Cubs because they're not ahead of the Cubs. The Cubs are a game up on the Brewers right now. Uh, So we won't have that. But um, he's saying that the Brewers will be ahead of the Cubs come next Monday. Uh, I don't know who the Brewers play, but I'm pretty sure most of the Cubbies games are in the friendly confines. Let's look here. So they're playing a two-game series against the White Sox. In Wrigley, uh, three, four game series against the Mets. That brings us to Sunday. So this is Monday the 24th, I assume, is when he's making this prediction. So all of these games are being played in Wrigley. Okay. Which the Cubs have been fire hot in Wrigley. If it was an away game, you know, maybe that's possible. I'm not sure what the Brewers' schedule looks like, but the I wouldn't Brewers be surprised. have three games at San Diego and four games at home against the Reds. That's a fairly easy schedule. Yeah, that's not bad. But, I mean, the Cubby schedule is pretty easy, too, especially because mostly because it's at home, to be honest. So, double? You can double. get a fanny pack at the Brewers game next uh, Sunday, the 23rd, <laughs> if you'd like that. Well, double? Was presented double. by the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Well, I'm not going there. I'll give him a double. What do you think? Double. Sounds good to me. All right. Well, he got a double. And since we got a Mike prediction, a Kyle prediction, a Wyatt, and a Josh prediction, and that means we have had one, two, three, four predictions placed in this Write That Down prediction segment, which also means that's the end of the Write That Down prediction segment, which 
also also means that is the conclusion of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 35 of the 8311 cast. Thanks for listening. Like I just said, share us with your friends. Give us a thumbs up on whatever podcast listening thing that you listen to us on. Tune in again next. Tune in again next week where we still bring you all things sports. You are beautiful ears. Signing off for the 8311 cast. We have your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter. Thanks again for listening for the fourth time now to episode 35 of the 8311 cast. We will see you next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.